open up your books, you bad apples. Cole, I was doing the <laughs> intro there. Do you, um, hey. you know what? Honestly, what is this, episode 24 or 25 or something? We'll get to the perfect intro eventually, but until then, hello everyone, and welcome to the Bad Apple Book Club. Cole Lang here. Hey, identity theft is not a joke. Honestly, I listen to the show so much, I kind of get the two of us confused a little here and there. Lucas Nord here, very sorry about that. Oh, it's alright. And I'm Cole, and I'm Cole Lang. And Cole, how are you today, pal? Well, lockdown is happening, trying to stay occupied, it's almost Christmas, got Christmas off. But not quite sure what I'm going to do yet. We're days from uh, Christmas right now. That's ridiculous. Five days. Holy moly. Yep. Probably play Cyberpunk. It's now a black market item. You know, we can't get it on the PlayStation Store yeah. anymore. So that's, that's pretty cool. That's what I've been hearing about it. But if I may say, um, you know, speaking of Christmas time and gifts, and uh, I don't know about you, but the only gift I want this year is a nice big chocolate bar. What kind of chocolate? Um, One straight out of Wonka's shop himself, I would say. Or out of the Wonka factory, you know? There's nothing like it. Mm. One of those double fudge whipple delights. I mean, am I wrong? Yeah, those sound good. And a never-ending um, or a everlasting gobstopper. One of those could be kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, both. I, th- I think I'd be more of a gobstopper guy. Not the biggest chocolate guy i'm a dark chocolate guy i don't like milk chocolate all that much cole what are you talking about right now chocolate you are trying to tell me right now that you don't even i mean i understand dark chocolate it's got a little extra i don't know about richness to it or whatever but i can respect the dark chocolate but you're telling me that you don't even like milk chocolate i mean i'll eat it but it's it's too sweet. Wow. It's just too sweet. Yep. I like a little... I want that natural cocoa flavor. I think you know. Willy Wonka and Charlie would both have something to say about that. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, that's, just, that's just my hot take. Well, see, speaking of which, we're covering Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Part 2 today. Uh, before we got into that, Cole, could you potentially give us a bit of a rundown on Episode 1? Episode one, we were introduced to Charlie. Charlie Bucket. Charlie and his family. Charlie Bucket. Yep, the first book in the Charlie Bucket saga. Uh, and yeah, he's uh, lives in very poor conditions. His whole family, his dad works at the toothpaste factory where he puts on the lids, the screw-on caps. Uh but it's not nearly enough to support his family, so they have to ration their food. Uh, their house is just, you know, it's a shack, mostly. Wind creeps through the floorboards, and it's very cold in the wintertime. And they're all, like, very skinny from the lack of food. Um, and then Wonka one day, you know, he came up with this lottery system of you can come to my factory here. And as we learned through that last episode, right up to the tail end, Charlie finally found his ticket after buying four candy bars separately. And 
Grandpa Joe is his plus one going to Willy Wonka's Incredible Chocolate Factory. Yay. Yep, he hopped right out of bed. He's ready to go. 96 and a half years old. Hasn't moved in 20 years, but he just sprung right out of that bed when he saw that ticket. Yeah. Yep, he, uh... He's very excited. <laughs> yeah, yes. He, he can't wait. Um, Maybe more excited than Charlie. Honestly, though, we are going to talk about that. Um, mm-hmm. Was there anything else you wanted to discuss before we got into this, or are you ready to just get rolling? I'm ready to roll. Alrighty. On February 1st, the day after Charlie found his ticket, he was really cutting it close with that, by the way. Also, you know what? I'm not even a sentence into this outline, and I already want to say that it's interesting that he found his ticket the day before the actual um, tour through the place, and he also lives in the town with it because many of the other golden ticket holders had to travel. Yeah, maybe maybe it was a conspiracy. It could be, but I mean, put it there. Who's to say? Charlie and his grandpa Joe head over to Wonka's Chocolate Factory. And stand outside in anticipation with the other four golden ticket holders. And each of the other golden ticket holders has both of their parents with them. So Charlie is the only guy that showed up with one guardian. And he's the only one with a grandparent, too. Kind of an interesting Mm -hmm. distinction. Yep. Very interesting choice to bring the oldest man of the family there bring the you know. oldest man alive honestly i mean 96 and a half <laughs> holy crap or i'm sorry i i didn't mean to get so outlandish there while they're standing outside the gate um bystanders are gathering around just to maybe get a glimpse inside the chocolate factory if they can and as we discussed one of our very favorite golden ticket holders. I guess I don't know if he's one of your favorites, but one of my favorites, um, little fat boy Augustus Gloop, is mm. is referred to as someone in the crowd as enormous, isn't he? Which is uh, kind of unnecessary, but as we're told a hundred times through this book, he is a fat child. Yeah, a lot of a lot of fat shaming when it comes to Augustus here. And honestly. Yeah. I I don't know that I want to completely call it fat shaming because he's not specifically referred to as being bad because he's fat. Because the shopkeeper that sold Charlie his golden ticket was a fat man, but he was very jolly. But it is um, rubbed in a lot more with Augustus, this tiny fat boy, and all he does is eats chocolate, and he just wastes his life away being a little, you know, round doughboy. I don't know. Yeah, it goes along with his uh, his personality. It's uh, all all about him, and you know he just all he cares about is chocolate, eating chocolate, ripping through it. And we're gonna learn about that firsthand in uh, just a few minutes here. Ooh. Another passerby comments on Veruca Salt and her what I'll refer to as spoiledness, just because in the article it obviously said that her father. Um, who owned a factory of people shelling peanuts, put their work off for as long as it took them, and bought a crap ton of Wonka bars so that they could peel them in place of opening those peanuts, just so he could please his sweet little Veruca. I love that name, by the way. It's very nice. Yes, it is. And the passerby commenting on Veruca refers to her as dreadful, 
shocking, which is pretty intense. She's a child, whatever. We'll get to it. Yeah, it's like the grandparents are in the audience here. Yeah, right. Only making the judgments. Only if we may continue our streak of making fun of the downtrodden characters in this book. They're too old to get out of bed, so they wouldn't even dream of standing outside that Wonka gate. Yeah, they didn't even have coats, so... Oops. Yeah, they'd freeze to death the second they stepped outside. Hee 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 hee. Oh. Right. <laughs> Charlie and Joe are described, once again, uh, by people in the crowd. They're very, they're kind of, uh, what's that term when someone, oh yeah, heckles. People are kind of heckling the group, and Charlie hears someone refer to him as Joe, him and Joe as, respectively, a little shrimp and a skeleton. Ugh. And one remarks on the fact that Charlie probably isn't wearing a coat, even though it's winter outside, because his family can't afford one for him. But Charlie just kind of brushes it off. He's probably heard this a million times. He does not seem worried about any of this stuff. Nah, he's just happy to be there. Honestly, wouldn't you be too? Of course, yeah. I love Wonka. After a while... Willy Wonka himself enters the scene. Standing alone in the gate of the factory, we're given the description of the man himself, which isn't too far from Gene Wilder's portrayal in, you know, the classic movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's got a purple coat on, he's got a top hat, he's got green pants, and as I mentioned in the first episode as a bit of a teaser, there is one jimungus distinction between the book Willy Wonka and Gene Wilder. And that distinction is that Willy Wonka in the book has a goatee. Yeah, yeah, a big pointy one too. A big um, pointy goatee. I'm kind of maybe picturing a bit of a villain, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's not for me to decide. Uh, yeah, yep. Uh, maybe some like, uh, I don't know, just an interesting choice here. Like I'm either thinking of a vampire that has like a goatee like this, you know, or something like that. But do you? It's, it's Willy Wonka. I don't want to put any potential goatee wearing listeners out, but do you associate goatees with evil specifically? Uh, what about what about guy pointy Fieri? ones? Oh, okay, sure. He doesn't have a pointy one. He just has he just has frosted tips. Yeah, yeah. Well, frosted tips; those are evil too. Mm. Uh. <laughs> Willie himself greets everyone individually, almost um, ripping Augustus's arm off his body with how tremendous the force is of his handshake. And, you know, here's a little tip for anyone out there. You got to make an impression with your handshake if you're meeting someone for the first time, you know? It honestly is important. Yeah, but these days just do those fist pumps, you know? Yeah, no. I'm talking. Keep your hands away. In a year's time. Grab onto that hand of the person you've never met before and hang on for dear life. Um, Man, would you be fine with the future of just fist bumps as greetings? No, man. Like, even professionally? There's nothing more satisfying than just, you know, mad-dogging someone while you're seeing who can shake each other's hand harder. (laughs) Yeah, who gives first? Right. Willie also comments uh on veruca's name 
I really like it, but he mentions to her that he thought that a Veruca was a sort of wart that only grew on the sole of your foot. <laughs> really and, uh, setting the scene for uh, how he views these kids. <laughs> so, so wonderfully put. You literally took the words right out of my mouth. This is a perfect precursor to how Willie is going to treat the kids through the rest of the book. Maybe not so... I don't know about passive-aggressive or anything, but uh, he... I don't know what he thinks he's getting out of this factory tour, but we'll obviously get to that. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. He, uh, I don't think uh, I don't think I've ever um, said something of the equivalent of this, you know? Oh, you remind me of uh, this this nasty pimple I had back in the day. Like, <laughs> yeah. Isn't, isn't a coal, a kind of pimple you only get on your butt cheeks or uh, I mean, Ooh, Ooh, you know, that, the, the, that hurts. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Willie greets Charlie and says that he read, uh, the newspaper article saying that he found the ticket just the day before, and once again, another theme that we're going to see with Willie here is that upon telling Charlie this, he says that he is overjoyed, enraptured, enchanted, all right, excellent, um, uh. just because he really likes using synonyms. And honestly, synonyms are wonderful and great and fantastic and cool, you know? Oh, I see. I that's see just, what you did. That's just my opinion there. I don't know what you're talking about. That's fun. Wonka leads the group of children and their parents alike through the big red door into the factory, telling the group that it's nice and toasty in there since uh, his unusual workforce is used to a very nice and warm climate. And once again, if we'll remember, Wonka hasn't hired anyone for 10 years since he officially shut his factory down, but there are tiny shadows seen through the windows at any hour of the day. After walking through what feels like a bit of a labyrinth, uh, Wonka finally leads the group to an underground spot of the factory and tells them that his factory would be a million times bigger if he had to keep everything in the actual brick and mortar up top, so everything has to be underground just because of the, you know, the stature of this entire place. Yeah. Huge. Absolutely. And we're, uh, we're about to discuss just uh, how huge it is through... Well, I suppose we talked in the first episode about the chocolate waterfall that Willy Wonka sacrifices his competitors down. <laughs> yeah. After a few more left and right and left turns, the pack is finally let outside a door marked the chocolate room in big old letters. This is, of course, the room with all of the classic stuff you're picturing from the Gene Wilder movie with the edible grass and the chocolate river and the chocolate waterfall and the edible flowers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's described very nicely in the book, too, I would say. And it's so wonderfully made in the movie, and it really translates from the book because Wonka himself considers this room as the crown jewel of the entire factory so he's really starting everyone off on a high note i would say yeah the only thing i'm thinking about though is um how unsanitary this would get um oh, don't think about that uh, because when i went to the uh don't tell coca-cola 
Oh, oh the Willy Wonka factory. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, when I went to the Coca-Cola Museum in Atlanta, it, it, you know, there's some elements that were, you know, probably borrowed or stolen from Wonka, whatever. Uh, had a bunch of, like, these, you know, crazy machines that supposedly made co- co- uh, Coca-Cola. Um and just like a lot of fun exhibits that's you know more geared towards kids but at the end they had this room with all these different uh like soda flavors from across the world that coca-cola made which was awesome i don't want to detract too much but are you about to say that they had a giant bathtub full of coke that everyone got to stick their face into no but it's almost it was almost like that because, well, there's a lot of kids running around with, you know, soda, so the floor was very sticky, oh. and that's just how I imagine uh, this place, you know, it's just, the the grass is made out of sugar, and it's sticking to your shoes, and then, uh, I don't know how you maintain the turf uh, or the trees without it getting a little bit gross. Well, see... That's kind of funny because I never thought about this before. Um, are we to assume that Wonka had this entire place set out like... I guess I can't really think of how to explain it. Do you think that the candy grass and the candy trees grow? Or I picture them as just being placed down in a giant mat and this room is almost... Bad Apple callback. Like the museum in Catcher in the Rye that never changes, no matter how many years separately you go into it, it's always the same exact, you know? Oh, wow. What do you Uh, think? I want to say just due to the, you know, magical nature of this book is that uh, everything kind of has grown somehow. Okay, I love it. Yeah, yep. Along the Chocolate River is a aforementioned chocolate waterfall, which is not only there for fun, but uh, Wonka also says that it makes the smoothest chocolate in the entire world just because it goes over the edge of it and lands on whatever the hell, you know, chocolate rocks at the bottom and really just refines this chocolate down to its uh, most pure and smooth flavor, which is just wonderful. Honestly, I wouldn't mind a chocolate bar right about now. Wonka also makes sure to state that this is the only factory in the entire world that mixes its water, er, mixes its chocolate by waterfall, which, uh, kind of obvious. You don't hear about a lot of factories that have natural exhibits for their, you know, I mean, I'd love to go to the Bud Light factory and just stick my face in a river there, but, you know, that's just a pipe <laughs> dream. Nothing yeah. but. Yeah, all the all the oats and barley uh, just delivered by uh, little Oompa Loompas, you know. Ooh. No, no tractors used in the Bud Light factory. It's just a bunch of Oompa Loompas. The rest of the group, after marveling at the spectacle, each picks a single blade of the, like I just said, quote-unquote, eatable grass, Everything in this book, instead of being, like, um, perishables or whatever, they're referred to as eatables. Don't you have any eatables around the house? Like I said, everyone in the group picks up one single blade, except for one specific boy who just grabs a fistful of it, 
Um, oh. And which boy do you think that is, Cole? Which boy Charlie. do you know? Charlie. Charlie yeah. can't catch a break, and finally he gets all his food, and he's going to eat it all. As we've discussed, Charlie is painted to be a horrifically greedy character, only thinking of himself <laughs> the entire time, so he grabs multiple fistfuls of the grass and just stuffs his face. Um, yep. No, oh, disgusting. It, it was obviously the fat boy Augustus Gloop just grabs what? a big old handful of the, gla- uh, of the grass and helps himself, which honestly, I would do the same thing. Why would I only want to try one single blade? Um, if everyone out there is picturing the movie... I don't know if you're like me, but I want to try everything in that, like, in the factory shown in there. Even though I know that it's all actually made of plastic, I would still take a bite of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes plastic tastes good. It just depends on the day. Exactly. We are finally introduced to Wonka's um, factorial staff when Veruca notices a tiny man on the other side of the river and screams in excitement. The workers are no taller than any adult's knee and have long, crazy hair with very white skin. Bit of a detraction from the original book. If you if you bought one of the copies from... I keep forgetting which year this one came out in, but apparently Raul Dahl had the Oompa Loompas painted as somewhat more of a... Uh, they were originally African pygmy uh, people. So this Very. is the complete opposite. He was just like, oh, I got to backtrack on this one. Well, what's the opposite of black? Ah, oh, very white. And see, yep. that's the funny thing, too, because I do remember getting to this part in the book and thinking, it's not like I wanted the characters to look any specific way. Of course, you know, orange skin in the movies. But I get to this part in the book and I... Well, we'll discuss the Oomplumas more here, but they're described, and I'm just thinking, this is just so strangely specific that I just don't know what I'm to make of this. And then we obviously discussed on the last episode, and right then, what the actual basis of the Oompa-Loompas was, unfortunately. But hey, they're still great characters, and we love them. At this point, he describes them so well to the point where you're like, these guys could have never been from Africa, you know? It's just... Well, actually, if I may say, um, I'm not sure where they were from in the original book. I probably... I would assume that he kept that part faithful because the names of the workers are obviously Oompa Loompas, and they come from Loompa Land, which... Mm. uh, just the mere existence of it being brought out of Willy Wonka's mouth as he's describing this is debated by Veruca's mother. She goes, there's no such thing as Loompa Land. I'm this spoiled child's mother, and I'm just as awful as she is. The Oompa Loompas lived in a thick jungle infested with many predators like hornswogglers and snozwangers and, uh, worst of all, the Wangdoodles. I mean, uh-huh. we've all heard of them before. Millions of deaths caused every year just by wang doodles alone. It's a very yeah. unfortunate fact, but they're a very predatory species. Yeah, yeah. and growing up in Minnesota, it it was like uh, this was a regular life, you know, just just how it goes. Gotta look out. Yep. Yeah. Always got my guard up. 
<laughs> yeah, after one attack by a horn swoggler, uh, guess what? You're always on your toes. Yeah, if you're there. if you're lucky enough to make it out of that first one, you know. <laughs> yeah, I count my uh, lucky stars every day. And yeah. to escape the horn swogglers and snaz wangers and wang doodles, the Oompa Loompas lived in tree houses high above in the well in the trees, surviving on nothing but caterpillars and. One of my favorite little tidbits in the book is that Wonka doesn't only specify that, well, you know, the Oompa Loompas told me that the caterpillars tasted awful. He says, and believe me, those caterpillars did taste awful because, you know, of course, Wonka seems like the type of guy to try everything once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A big taste bud palate. So, I mean... We've only barely seen him so far into this, but uh, he is such an interesting character, and I'm excited to discuss it a little more as it, we go along. Yeah, here. it reminds me of, uh, I went to like this tea plantation in Charleston. I don't know, there's a romanticized vision of plantations in, well, the South. Uh, but it, it's just a place where they grew a bunch of tea, and Yum. Uh, there was a guy there who like founded the farm or whatever, and he had to build up his tea palette, and he had to go to like this tea school, oh. and he could only ta- he could he's like the only person that can taste supposedly taste like thousands of like different variants of teas, and he uh, knows the difference by taste. Yeah. Wow. Supposedly, I, I'm kind of calling you know BS on that, but. I uh, that, that's just my opinion. I myself have seen the YouTube videos of like the professional whiskey expert tasting, you know, the 500-year-old cask of it and the cheapest bottle in the liquor store and yeah, they're always like, "Well, you know, this one has a little bit of a different taste than this one." And that's all I got to say. Uh, don't honestly <laughs> know. Of course people people can probably fine-tune their palates better than that, but it is kind of funny. <laughs> It's, um, you know, it, it might be how people might feel when I go to a craft beer bar where I'm just like, or a brewery, ooh. and I'm just like, ooh, a little uh, hops, 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 hops. A little, uh, there's hops I, in this one. <laughs> I heard they've been putting more hops in this lately. <laughs> I'm a bit hoppy. <laughs> After getting to know the chief of the Oompa Loompas, Willy Wonka finds out that their favorite food is none other than the wonderful cacao bean. And obviously seeing an opportunity, Wonka's like, hey man, how about you come give me your indentured servitude for the rest of time, and I give you all the chocolate you guys can stomach. And they're like, yeah, what the hell? I don't care. What else do I have going on? So I don't know if every single Oompa Loompa goes with him. I don't know how many there are, but... Very many Oompa Loompas went with uh, Wonka back to his factory to live it out. They don't even go outside, which is kind of interesting, too. Yeah, I just hope their working conditions are okay. They're getting that minimum wage, you know. They're getting, getting one that cup of chocolate care. a week. Oh, man. Maybe that's enough for Oompa Loompa. I don't know. Of course... Once again, I don't mean to keep talking about the movie. I truly would like to save it for the discussion, but everyone can picture the 
orange oompa loompas with their green hair and the overalls and these ones are described to be very different including the fact that the men oompa loompa were deer skins the women wore leaves and the mm. children wore nothing but their birthday suits oh yeah very big difference there yeah. weren't any there weren't any children oompa loompas in any of the movies i don't think in the Tim Burton one, they were all played by the same guy. Yep. Veruca immediately demands that her father procure herself an Oompa Loompa, literally the second she sees one. Doesn't think twice. Hey, go get me one of those, and I don't want it tomorrow. I don't want it in an hour. I want it today. I want it right now. Today. Right now. Right? Right now. Right now, Dad. Right now. All the while... Our boy Augustus is down by the river, pretty much sucking chocolate straight off the surface of it uh, as fast as he can. Obviously, well, I don't know. Honestly, are we to assume that none of the Oompa Loompas do this too? Because if a chocolate river, like if I was out in the wild and I found one of these chocolate rivers, I'd probably stick my face in it. Well, we'll see here. Willy Wonka, he hates this because it contaminates his chocolate. We're going to talk about just how much contamination it gets to, actually, because um, Augustus is urged by his mother to get his face out of the chocolate river because, well, you know, on top of it just being horribly unsanitary, she also makes sure to say that he's going to spread his cold to millions of people. The sick child <laughs> is sticking his face inside the river, and on top of that, he's sucking it down so fast that at one point he says, you know, the only real way to get my full experience out of this is if someone got me a bucket. Uh, I just love this, how they get into the, you know, the this big candy room, and almost instantly these kids are just like acting like brats and entitled and it's just chaos we're going to discuss exactly what we think willie's goals are when we're uh when everything's said and done here and i'm really excited to see what you think about that because i don't know about you but i'm actually not quite done with the book yet so i still don't even have an entire opinion formed yeah yeah stay Uh tuned Augustus being quote-unquote deaf to everything except the call of his enormous enormous stomach is, you know, told to get his face out of the river and he does not heed his mother or Willie's advice and he has a bit of a misstep and he plummets face first into the chocolate river. Yeah, the whole time Willie is like, hey, get out of there. Seriously. Contaminating the chocolate. Come on. Willie is very understanding in the fact that he doesn't go and pull this kid's face out of the river by himself. But he's also like, hey, kid, you probably just shouldn't do that in the first place. And as you said in the first episode, we're going to see that Willie's usually right. Yeah, you should have listened. Augustus's mother demands for her husband, you know, Augustus's father, to dive in and rescue their son. But his dad's like... I'm not going to jump in the river and rescue him. I'm wearing my best suit right now. Yeah, come on. It's just my son. Kind of an awful reaction, but we're obviously <laughs> seeing that 
Augustus is spoiled and detached nature comes from spoiled and detached parents. Oh, weird. <laughs> A coincidence? <laughs> Eventually, after it's too late, um, Augustus' father goes in to make his move to save the quote-unquote wretched boy, and Augustus is pulled closer and closer to the, well, one of the many large pipes in the river. And he's sucked into one of them. And they're clear pipes so his mom can see him on the other side. And she immediately screams, help, murder, police. Followed by his father demanding that someone smash the pipe right then and there. And it's really perfect because these parents are going through, I don't know about the five stages of grief or whatever. But his mother immediately freaks out. His father tells him to get someone out of there. And his mother immediately afterwards says, Augustus, come out of there at once. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Augustus, just get out of the pipe that has like 5,000 PSI behind you. Young man, come out of that (laughs) chocolate pipe right now. (laughs) You get down from there. (laughs) Yep. Hearing a comment from one of the parents worrying that Augustus will make his way into the marshmallow room to be turned into marshmallows... Wonka retorts with, impossible, unthinkable, inconceivable, absurd, which is once again a bunch of synonyms. Yeah. When asked by one of the parents how it's such a crazy notion that Augustus could be turned into marshmallow chocolate, Wonka tells them that it's truly an impossibility because the pipe he's being sucked into goes to the um, strawberry fudge room, actually. So, of course, he's not going to be turned into marshmallows. Yeah, that's just not logical. (laughs) If anything, he's only going to be turned into a little bit of strawberry-flavored fudge. And, I mean, Wonka, once again, one of his character traits is that he's very confident. He's never seen anything like this happen before, but he still says that, I mean, while Augustus' parents freak out, he's saying, I wouldn't allow it about their child being turned into it because he's he's very confident but also when he's asked by one of the parents why he wouldn't allow it which is kind of a weird question Wonka comp- uh, Wonka comments that he wouldn't allow such a thing to happen because Augustus flavored chocolate coated goop would taste completely awful <laughs> he's probably he has, not like, wrong very like yeah, he just has like a very like binary response where he's like, "Well, why wouldn't you? Well, you know, like why wouldn't he turn into this just delicious product?" And he's like, "Because I'm not gonna allow it." Yeah, it's, right. It'll be disgusting. I honestly, uh, who who wants boy bones in their chocolate? Willie is a man of principle, and you honestly gotta love him for it. Yeah. Speaking of bones in the chocolate, too, I feel like. Our covering of a child's book series is the perfect time to mention cannibalism because I think it's really funny that when you mentioned Bones and the Chocolate, I got to thinking how Willy Wonka says that the chocolate with Augustus would taste completely awful, but human meat is compared to pig meat, actually. Oh, really? Yep. I've heard stories of, uh, well, I mean, I've read them on the internet or listened to podcasts or whatever of specific places in the world referring to it as a long pig. What? Because of how similar the taste of human flesh is to pork. 
Oh, jeez. Like I said, well, I well, figured this was know, the perfect series to mention that. There goes my appetite for the whole day. Well, I'm a little hungry. Let's talk about chocolate. (laughs) Oh, geez. After mentioning that he wouldn't allow Augustus to be turned into strawberry fudge because it would taste awful, Willie also says no one would buy it. And one of his parents said, they most certainly would. That's my boy you're talking about. <laughs> He's delicious. That's my sweet, precious child. Hey, I'll make him into a chocolate bar right now just to prove it to you, Mr. Fancy Man. Walking around yeah. with your cane and your pointed goatee. He's already like 50% chocolate, so. Oh, wow. Be okay. That's funny. Snapping his fingers thrice in quick succession, Wonka seems to conjure an Oompa Loompa out of thin air and instructs him to lead. Both of the gloops, you know, since Augustus is sucked up into the pipe, he instructs the Oompa Loompa to lead both of his parents to the fudge room, considering that their son was, you know, just led there through the pipe. Yep. The request is met with great laughter from the Oompa Loompa, and Wonka tells him to pull it together, because I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure Willie thinks this is all pretty funny too, but he's like, hey man... I know you think everything's a big joke, and he is literally quoted as saying the Oompa Loompas see everything as a big joke, but he's going, we got appearances to keep up here. Just get a few more boys and go to the fudge room. This is a PR tour. The first one ever. Honestly, after being led away from the group, a procession of Oompa Loompas on the opposite side of the river from the collection starts singing a tune. The Oompa Loompa song that they sing goes, Augustus Gloop, Augustus Gloop, the great big greedy nincompoop. How long could we allow this beast to gorge and guzzle, feed and feast, on everything he wanted to? Great Scott, it simply wouldn't do. However long the pig might live, we're positive he'd never give, even the smallest bit of fun or happiness to anyone. So what we do in cases such as this, we use the gentle touch and carefully we take the brat and turn him into something that will give great pleasure to us all. A doll, for instance, or a ball, or marbles, or a rocking horse. But this revolting boy, of course, was so unutterably vile, so greedy, foul, and infantile, he left a most disgusting taste inside our mouths and so in haste we chose a light that come what may would take the nasty taste away come on we cried the time is right to send him shooting up the pipe he's got to go it has to be and very soon he's going to see inside the room to which he's gone some funny things are going on but don't dear children be alarmed augustus gloop will not be harmed Although, of course, we must admit, he will be altered quite a bit. He'll be quite changed from what he's been when he goes through the fudge machine. That one doesn't rhyme at all. (laughs) Slowly, the wheels go round and round. The cogs begin to grind and pound. A hundred knives to slice, slice, slice. We add some sugar, cream, and spice. We boil him for a minute more until we're absolutely sure... That all the greed and all the gall is boiled away for once and all. Then once he comes, and now, by grace, a miracle has taken place. 
This boy who only just before was loathed by men from shore to shore, this greedy brute, this louse's ear, is loved by people everywhere. For who could hate or bear a grudge against a luscious bit of fudge? Ooh, bit graphic. Very graphic. They talk about him being sliced up with multiple knives, being turned into fudge, being eaten. But they also say that the only way, bad apple callback, that Augustus can be redeemed, much like Raskolnikov through his mental suffering and his time spent in the Siberian prison, they think that he can still be fixed, even if it is through the power of being turned into fudge. Dang. Yar what you eat. Wow. That is <laughs> such an obvious thing. And once again, I didn't even think about it. That's so funny. Oh, if I may say too, fun. while we're detracting here, um I wouldn't know I wouldn't just compare it to Raskolnikov's um redemption through going to prison and through his mental anguish, but Alex is also put through a bit of a chocolate fudge machine. <laughs> Uh, through a clockwork orange would you agree with that cole <laughs> oh yeah the ludovico's, ludovico's fudge technique yep a little a little something to get you well made for society yep. you know <laughs> after Everyone this likes augustus will, yeah augustus will be a new boy <laughs> After the tune, Wonka leads the group to a pink Viking-style rowboat appearing to be made out of pink glass, even though it's obviously a gigantic sweet hollowed out, with ten Oompa Loompas manning every oar. This is a big old ship here, and with the ship's, you know, giganticism and beautifulness, upon seeing the giant pink candy ship... Violet immediately tells her parents that she wants one uh, just for herself, and she wants the hundred Oompa Loompas on board to man the oars, just like Wonka has. And she doesn't just want all this crap, she wants it right meow. Ah, uh, I'm sorry. I don't think I would ever want this. It'd be so sticky. That's all I can think about. Is this This place would be so sticky. Well, see, some of the kids lick the ship, too, considering that it is made out of candy. And imagine you get your butt a little wet and you sit down in this thing. You imagine the oars are made out of candy, too, and those things are bound to snap at any point. Uh, yeah, not not too feasible. It, it seems fun in the book, but I, I think this would be kind of a hell uh, in real life. Wonka's operation here is a bit shoddy. Yeah. Grandpa Joe says that Veruca... I mean, it's not the giant pink ship with the Oompa Loompas and the chocolate river that she wants. What she wants is a good kick in the pants. (laughs) (laughs) Grandpa Joe's like, you respect Mr. Wonka. You don't talk crap to him ever. Yeah. (laughs) This uh, is his boat. Yeah, pretty much. It must have been like the second Grandpa Joe met uh, Willy Wonka. He's like, oh, you have no idea how big of a fan I am. Uh, I I have... (laughs) Every one of uh, your first ten records on vinyl, and I had you sign every one of them after every concert that I went and saw you at. I'm not sure if you remember me, but my name is Grandpa Joe, and I actually haven't moved in 20 years, so it may have been a while since we met. 
Um, <laughs> he is Willy Wonka's super fan, though. Yeah, he would be like, yeah, Willy Wonka, he could, like, assault me, and uh, I still wouldn't care. He could kick me in the pants. I, I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> Wonka is sitting right next to Charlie and Joe, and being the wonderful guy that he is, he sticks a mug over the side of the boat into the chocolate river and hands it to Charlie, telling him to drink up, as he is a growing boy, and... Wonka, just like everyone else, notes that Charlie looks like he could stand to gain a few pounds. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, we get the same comment on Joe from Wonka, too, that we heard from the bystander earlier when he fills a mug up for him, too, and says, You look like a skeleton. Hasn't there been any eatables in your house lately? To which Grandpa Joe replies, Not much. And he's not wrong. It's because you've been taking all the money there, Wonka. You've been, uh, you know, just uh, using up all the resources in this town, and there's nothing left. All, all these Oompa Loompas stole the jobs. How is a man supposed to get a nice, honest-paying job at the chocolate factory when you're only hiring indigenous peoples from tropical climates? Oh, man. Well, now, the, the, you know, Doll, he didn't foresee this coming. But now it's the automation that's taken the jobs. These Oompa Loompas would be out of work. Um, the... If we will remember, in the Tim Burton movie, Charlie's father is replaced by a machine. Oh, wow. Yep, so... 2000, I mean... 2009, I believe that movie came out, so... He must have been seeing a bit of a flash into the future. Yeah, and just just want to clarify, I don't think, you know, immigrants are stealing jobs. Automation is, you know, that's that that's my hot take. I think Oompa Loompas are stealing jobs. Well, Oompa Loompa ain't real. Sorry. Well. It's a, it's a liberal hoax. Continuously rowing, the boat is eventually led to the mouth of a tunnel. And Wonka either plays dumb or is actually a complete madman when he tells the group that the Oompa Loompas can't see in the tunnel, so he doesn't know where the hell it's going. Mm. Once again, scary. while going into the mouth of the tunnel, Wonka says, There's no earthly way of knowing which direction they are going. There's no knowing where they're rowing, or which way the river's flowing. Not a speck of light is showing, so the danger must be growing, for the rowers keep on rowing, and they're certainly not showing any signs that they are slowing. Ooh, just, uh, you Ominous. know, it's the journey of life. You don't know where you're gonna go. Yep. Yep. Might feel like a dark tunnel sometimes on a chocolate river, but you'll reach your destination. Honestly. Um... After all this stuff goes down before they've entered the mouth of the tunnel, one of the fathers shouts out that shouts out that Wonka is off his rocker, and another, well, in a bit of more synonyms here, Wonka is described as, he's balmy, he's nutty, he's screwy, he's batty, he's dippy, he's dotty, he's daffy, he's goofy, he's beanie, he's buggy, he's wacky, he's loony, to which Grandpa Joe says, no, he is not! 
<laughs> he is mine. I love him. <laughs> Honestly, I love how much Grandpa Joe's standing up for Wonka here because everyone else inside the factory kind of seems like they're just going, yeah, I'm here. Whatever, I don't care. I don't care that I'm literally seeing the most wonderful thing I've ever seen, and I don't care that this guy gave me the opportunity. I mean, yeah, I'm just this here is to... The f- I didn't have anything else going on today. Yeah, this is the first time anyone's told me something critical of my child, and I'm sick of it. I'll have you know that my little fat boy Augustus is perfect. Yep. Uh... Quote-unquote... He seemed to love the sensation of whizzing through a white tunnel in a pink boat on a chocolate river, is how Wonka is described, which is probably the most specific way someone can be described as having fun, if I might say so myself. Mm -hmm. The boat flashes past a door with a sign that reads, All creams, dairy cream, whipped cream, violet cream. Coffee cream, pineapple cream, vanilla cream, and most importantly of all, hair cream. Hair cream. Mike TV questions Willie's need for hair cream in a candy factory, and in return, he's curtly shut down, implored by the man to not ask too many silly questions. You're asking me nothing but silly questions here, kid. Why would I not have hair cream in my chocolate factory? Yeah, uh, like Mike TV could have asked him like, uh, "When so when did you start building this factory?" And then Wonka would be like, "Oh my God, do you ever shut up?" That is exactly how Wonka is like read out as he's talking to these kids, and it's yeah. so funny because he's like, I'm not sure if the word's apathetic, but. A child fell into his chocolate river, and he does not know what's going to happen because he's never seen it in his life. But he's just like, yeah, everything will be fine. I don't care. Even if it does, even if it does, I guess we'll just have to throw a little fudge in the garbage. Listen, I don't know about the journey, but I know the destination. And the destination's going to be the strawberry fudge department. Mm. (laughs) Another door further down the river reads... All the beans, cacao beans, coffee beans, jelly beans, and has beans. <laughs> Violet Beauregard questions Wonka about the last item on the list, and Wonka says, pretty much, you should know a thing or two about has beans considering you're one yourself. No, you. no it's funny because like this is just a girl like she hasn't even grown up yet or experienced any type of fame see or maybe after this but i guess i honestly can't say but i guess that was how i read it was wonka was saying you're already in the factory and the newspaper article's been written about you, so no one cares anymore. But I honestly don't think that he's put that much thought into it. It's just a really funny insult, too. You little half mean. Your life is done. <laughs> After a few more seconds of the intense boat ride, the sweet pink candy ship stops abruptly in front of a large set of red doors. Said red doors... Uh, how's the sign outside them reading the invention room and Wonka says that this is the most secretive of all of his secret rooms inside the factory stating old fickle Gruber would give his front teeth to be allowed inside for just three minutes um, yeah. I'm assuming that is 
one of his competitors. His, I'm honestly not yep. entirely sure. Would, do you remember that being stated up top? Yeah, it is. I even remember in the movie, Fickle Gruber was a Fickle rival Gruber. shop. Yep. Up to this point, no one else, including the Oompa Loompas, have ever stepped foot inside this room except for Wonka himself. And Charlie compares it to a witch's kitchen with bubbling cauldrons and kettles hissing and strange machines sputtering. Even though Wonka has been noticeably excitable the entire tour, Charlie makes sure to say that he's, like, especially freaking out in this room. Like, this guy's already (laughs) hopping around, tap dancing from room to room and, like, spinning his cane, but in this room... He looks like he's just, like, a little more excited. And honestly, if we may take a second to step aside here, I just want to say, if uh, if you can, find a job that makes you this happy. Wonka does not work a day in his life, you know? Yeah. You really got to respect yeah. him. Yeah, he he loves it. And then Joe's in the background, he's like... <laughs> Oh, I'm so happy that he's happy, you know, and that makes me happy. Oh, my God. <laughs> he just starts dancing. <laughs> Wonka uh, is having difficulty deciding which big old machine to show off first and brings the group over to one that shoots out what looks like a little itty-bitty marble. This being none other than an everlasting gobstopper. And it's really cool, too, honestly. No joke. Wonka says that he wants to make the everlasting gobstopper. Obviously, you know, it's like a jawbreaker that never loses its flavor. Not only does it never lose its flavor, but it just never disappears in general. And it changes color every single week. And Wonka says that um, he's having them made specifically for children with little pocket money. Oh, that's nice when... Back when the corporate overlords used to care about us, you know? I don't think Wonka is a corporate overlord, though. I think he's a nice guy, but other than being a little eccentric, I think that's a fair word. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Jeff Bezos definitely would make this for you, that's for sure. Nope. Wonka says that he's had an Oompa Loompa sucking on one of these gobstoppers for a year straight, and it has not changed a single bit other than the aforementioned color change occasionally. Another invention shown to the children and parents alike, and, you know, Grandpa Joe, too, is hair toffee, uh, which is toffee that makes your hair grow. Veruca, in disbelief or something like that, questions Wonka on why anyone would want to eat a toffee that makes them grow a beard, and Wonka says he thinks one would suit her well. (laughs) Oh, he's got the zingers. He's swinging left and right. She goes... Why the heck would anyone want to eat chocolate that would make him grow a beard? And right back, shooting straight from the hip, he goes. You know, I don't think you'd look so bad with a beard yourself. Oh, take that. Yep. However, the hair toffee isn't a complete success yet due to the fact that the test subject, another Oompa Loompa, ate a piece of it and a lawnmower was eventually required to keep the hair growth in check with how constant it kept growing. Just like my, just like my ear hairs. Um, for anybody that knows me really well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I get like these giant ear hairs that just like grow off of my well earlobe, and they get up to like two to three inches sometimes. Okay. Uh, While we're embarrassing uh, ourselves by talking about bodily hair, my ass. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> next time, next time someone sees me in real life, just get a good look at my nostrils because you can barely see anything in there through all the through all the dense hairs. But you know what? Honestly, honestly, I think uh, I can thank my substantial amount of Noah's hairs for my lack of COVID up to this point. There you, know, you go. They're probably catching yeah. everything for me. Even though I can hardly uh, breathe, they're so thick. It's like your personal nose mask. Yep. Uh, no. I don't need it. Uh, yeah. Whenever I walk into the Home Depot and they tell me to put a mask on, I say, <laughs> I'm fine. Do you see these nose hairs? And you yep. perk up your nose and you say, take a good look because this is all you're going to get. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of uh, Drake and Josh where uh, Helen... Or, or what I found a way... I found a way. <laughs> but uh, she, uh, Josh's boss, she gets... Uh, Helen. Josh a nose... Yeah, <laughs> Helen a nose hair trimmer. She's like, oh, he needs one of those. Uh, Is that the most fine. passive-aggressive gift you can think of? <laughs> um, yeah, well, just that kind of notion, I guess. Like, oh, here's some toenail trimmers. Hey, uh, Cole, <laughs> I know how you've always talked about how much you wanted a bottle of mouthwash for your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, here's some extra gum as well. Yeah, uh, right. Mint. Mint flavored is better than fit, dead fish. <laughs> yep. Mike TV tries to chime in some more uh, with his tomfoolery, but Wonka shuts it down immediately and tells the boy not to argue because it is such a waste of precious time. <laughs> uh, and honestly, oh, Mike. <laughs> if I may say before we get off it too, I think we could all learn a lesson. Try not to waste your time too much because you only got so much of it, you know? In the way center of the inventing room is a large machine that the group is led to next. This being the gum machine, able to make a piece of gum that not only tastes like a three-course meal, but sates the appetite at the same time. Violet is mm. obviously pumped out about, uh, pumped up about this new development because, as we know from the first episode, she's had the same piece of gum she's been chewing on for three months straight. Yeah. And when she's shown the tiny gray stick of gum as it pops out of the machine, she doesn't think twice before sticking the record-winning piece of gum behind her ear and putting this mystery piece of three-course meal gum into her mouth. And this piece of gum just so happens to taste like roast beef, tomato soup, and blueberry pie. Which does sound like a nice combination of things. I gotta be honest with you, I'm gonna give a little glimpse into my personal life here. Haven't been eating so much of the roast beef myself within the last, like, year or so, but, uh, you know, it still does sound very appetizing. I'd definitely try a piece of gum. I'm pretty sure, uh, it's probably culturally sourced, you know, if it's just a piece of gum, there's probably no real meat in it, you wouldn't think. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe some lab-grown... Uh, gum. If I may say too, this is my question. If this is a three-course meal piece of gum that literally you put it in your mouth and it tastes like roast beef and then it tastes like tomato soup and then it tastes like blueberry pie, how long does each of the courses last, do you think, taste-wise? It would be really disgusting if one of them, you know, they only lasted like one second each and then you're just like, ugh, hit with all these flavors and then 
you know, it'd be like not keeping your plate separated on Thanksgiving. You take a giant mouthful of everything on your plate, um, which I, I, I do, but some okay. people are really particular. About I was that. going to say, <laughs> I will not tolerate um, hatred for food touching because I don't think there's anything like it, especially with Thanksgiving, man. Uh, my wonderful family made sure to supply me with all of the Thanksgiving traditional foods. And, I mean, I pretty much just threw it all on a plate and mixed it up with how, how quickly I ate it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I put it in the blender. Yeah, man. Put your cranberry sauce right on top of your stuffing. You only live now once. Now that, yeah, that's a meal replacement shake right there. For mm. real. And you're not supposed to do that, you know. After continuous nope. <laughs> chewing and amazement at the ability of the gum, Violet uh, doesn't feel any different, but someone tells her, you know, the tip of your nose is looking just a little blue to me right now, which is kind of weird because that's not supposed to be happening. Um, and, definitely, and definitely do not listen to the man that invented that piece of gum you're chewing on right now. He's telling you not to. You keep chewing it, but he tells you that you shouldn't be doing that, even though... You've already seen that accidents can happen in his factory, and sure enough, Wonka tells her that she really should have listened to him, stating that the only hiccup with the amazing chewing gum is that he has not quite been able to nail down the dessert aspect of it, and every other Oompa Loompa that's tried the same stick of gum um, not only went blue, but as Violet's going to see here in a second... They swole up to practically the size of a giant blueberry, left with nothing but tiny little arms, tiny little legs, and a tiny little head poking up the top. Yeah, it's just like those uh, blow-up suits that you see, the big sumo wrestler things. I had one of those costumes for Halloween quite some time ago. I had one where I was like a bull rider. I I remember... You remember? I remember. I remember. I remember uh, where I was when I saw you wearing it the first time. <laughs> I was standing right there. There, there you he were standing. By. You were standing under the mistletoe. <laughs> or wait, no, wrong holiday. <laughs> oh shit! Uh, but yeah, I remember that Halloween because it was my last Halloween. I think that I dressed up and went trick or treating. I was in eighth grade, and then well, our English teacher said. You guys are too old to trick-or-treat. And then I think I said to myself, I think you're right. <laughs> Honestly, I don't remember how long I went with it, but I remember I've always been a little too cool for everything throughout my entire life. And I particularly remember jumping off the Halloween wagon quite young. Um, mm. But hey, if you're out there listening to this right now, for one, thanks. And for two, Whoa. if you're 30 years old and you still want to go trick-or-treating... Go for him. Mrs. Beauregard, upset, tells Wonka that she doesn't want a blueberry for a daughter, goddammit. And Wonka instructs the Oompa Loompas to bring Violet to the juicing room. Uh-oh. And... She listened. And this is where we will be leaving off for our third and final part of... Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but if I may say, this last one is a bit of a woofer like that first one, but since I've been reading all the songs through this whole thing, I think it would honestly also kind of end this on a fun note. 
um, because I remember a lot of the lines from the songs just because of the movie, and I think that they were trimmed a lot in there. You can kind of see why, because these things are pretty wordy, but like I said, <laughs> we'll just finish this one off here because I've done everyone up to this point, and I mean, it's just, it, it seems like a fun high note to end on, I think. Dear friends, we surely all agree there's almost nothing worse to see than some repulsive little bum who's always chewing chewing gum. It's very near as bad as those who sit around and pick the nose. So please believe us when we say that chewing gum will never pay. The sticky habit's bound to send the chewer to a sticky end. Um, one of the grandmothers in the first episode, after being read, Violet's newspaper article says, see if she doesn't meet a sticky end. Which is honestly kind of the only foreboding thing I can think of them saying completely specifically. And the Oompa Loompas are even in on it. Did any of you ever know a person called Miss Bigelow? This dreadful woman saw no wrong in chewing, chewing all day long. She chewed while bathing in the tub. She chewed while dancing at her club. She chewed in church and on the bus. It really was quite ludicrous. Uh... Don't want to knock Rald too much here, but once again, doesn't really rhyme. <laughs> and when she couldn't find her gum, she'd chewed up the linoleum, or anything that happened near. A pair of boots, the postman's ear, or other people's underclothes. And once she chewed her boyfriend's nose, she went on chewing till at last her chewing muscles grew so vast that from her face her giant chin stuck out just like a violin. For years and years she chewed away, consuming fifty packs a day, until one summer's eve, alas, a horrid business came to pass. Miss Bigelow went late to bed. For half an hour she lay in red, chewing and chewing all the while like some great clockwork crocodile. Oh, I love the phrase clock. um, I love the phrase clockwork crocodile, by the way. A little, little callback. At last she put her gum away upon a special little tray and settled back and went to sleep. She managed this by counting sheep. But now how strange, although she slept, those massive jaws of hers just kept on chewing, chewing through the night, even with nothing there to bite. They were, you see, in such a groove they positively had to move, and very grim it was to hear, in pitch darkness loud and clear, the sleeping woman's great big trap opening and shutting snap 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 faster and faster chop 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 the noise went on it wouldn't stop until at last her jaws decide to pause and open extra wide and with the most tremendous chew they bit the lady's tongue in two whoa kind of a twist thereafter Ooh. just from chewing gum miss bigelow was always dumb and spent her life shut up in some disgusting sanatorium. Now that is a bad apple callback if I ever heard one. Jeez. And that is why we'll try so hard to save Miss Violet Beauregard from suffering an equal fate. She's still quite young. It's not too late provided she survives the cure. We hope she does. We can't be sure. And that is the official end-end of part two of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Cole Lang and Lucas Nord of the Bad Apple Book Club, read by us for you to listen to through your ears for fun. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, every podcast I listen to says that they really can't do anything without the listeners, and we can still record and talk without you, 
But uh, it is good to know that you're listening to it if you like. And you can follow us over on the Bad Apple Book Club Instagram, you know, at the Bad Apple Book Club. Christmas shirts, you know, you can buy one if you want to. Who cares? Um, Mm -hmm. Cole, did you have any personal thoughts on maybe Violet's sticky end that I think it might have been Grandma Georgina predicted or... Maybe Willy Wonka swagger or any general thoughts on part two of our series in general? Hmm. Very, very uh, Grim Brothers like stuff here where the children, they're, you know, you don't do this, otherwise you're going to get eaten by the big bad wolf or something like that. The big well, bad they Wonka. Do it. The big bad Wonka, yep, and and then they have like you know the Pikachu surprise face when uh, when they do these things and get in trouble for it, uh, and then Wonka's like, I told you, and then Joe's in the background. And he says, well, I told uh, he told you. Not uh, only <laughs> should the children just listen to the man whose factory he's graciously letting them tour through. Uh, just because, you know, hey, don't touch that crap. You go into a museum, and it's obviously not going to hurt anything if you touch, you know, if you just touch the bust with the tip of your finger. That's not hurting anything, but it's about respect and the potential for accidents to happen. And I'm not sure if you remember, Cole, but we got five kids here, and two of them are already done with the tour due to their selfishness. Heck yeah, get all of them out. Yep, we'll see who's the lone survivor here. Can't wait for, you know, Charlie to uh, eat the chocolate bar that eventually turns him into a big chocolate bar or something like that. Oh, that's so sad. Yep, and that's part three, folks. Uh... Part three will be coming to you this time next week. Um, I've had a lot of fun recording this series up to this point, and... As we've already said, thanks if you're listening. Yep, thank, thank you, listeners. Thanks for buying the t-shirts. They've been selling like hotcakes over here in the EU. Um, only have two left, and uh, you know everyone wears larges. It seems so. Uh, yeah, Popular size. Like two, yeah, <laughs> I only have two XL shirts. Uh, like two individual XL shirts left, so. What, I mean, hey, if I may say, I just want everyone to know right now, I don't wear the shirt seven days a week, okay? But this morning, I got out of bed, hopped in the shower, and I thought that it was just a day for the shirt that was part of our own personal creation. And I gotta say, I'm more comfortable than usual. I feel like my, um, my torso is breathing much better. Um, yeah. And, you know, $20, I mean, I don't know about you, Cole, but, uh, 20 bucks. I mean, I've never heard of such an affordable shirt in all my life. Yep. Yep. When I record this podcast, I have my Bad Apple Book Club shirt on, underwear, shorts, socks. Um, we just have, you know, testing merch you know we're testing these things before we sell it to the general public so we do actually the two of us we do have the only two bad apple book club sweatshirts in existence other than uh another very special listener you know who you are 
um, managed to make themselves a sweatshirt too. So there are three of them in existence outside of the original batch of shirts. And hopefully people are interested in buying some of those one day because I'm not even, you know, I really do like these shirts. I'm blowing smoke up people's ass here just for fun, but uh, I really love that sweatshirt. Yeah, yep, so um, getting lots of interest in them, so, you know, we're listening to the people. Um, yeah, so just keep a lookout, and uh, yeah, thank, thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening, and Cole, thank you for being here with me. I've had a lot of fun recording this so far, and if you didn't have anything else to say, then uh, I'll just tell everyone to... Keep on keeping on, and Friday's right around the corner. Yep, happy Christmas. Early Christmas. Oh, yeah, hey, happy holidays, <laughs> Merry Christmas. I love you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Of course. You know, oh, yeah. I can always do nothing with it. <laughs>